Well, come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You gotta make a little bit of noise. Good to see you guys. Yeah, a rowdy bunch. I like the rowdy bunch. Man, it's so good to see you guys. I wanna also wanna welcome our Grayson campus as well. Pastor Aaron's doing an amazing job. They're leading the helm there at, uh, in our Grayson campus. We also welcome everybody watching online. Thank you for joining us, uh, being part of what God's doing right here in Moorhead, Kentucky. I'm telling you what, this series has been so much fun. The last two Sundays, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it. Pastor Aaron kicked us off, and then Pastor Adam last week. You know, I told Pastor Aaron, I said, Aaron, now when you preach, make sure you bring it. But last time you preached, we shut the doors down for nine months. So, man, come on, man. It was like a year ago he preached, and then boom, you know, everybody's like scattered and gone. So, but he did an amazing job as well. We love him and Pastor Adam, and uh, so thankful for what they are doing. You know, a lot of times when we get hit with a crisis, like uh, the last 12 months, you know, a lot of people come and ask me as a pastor, they'll say things like, Hey, Pastor, are we living in the last days? Like, is this the last days? Is this, you know, is Jesus coming back? You know, uh, people ask that. Some people ask, hey, you know, is this vaccine that's coming out, is this the mark of the beast? Now, some of you may laugh at that stuff, but this is real questions that people ask. They'll text me and they'll be Christians. Should I get the vaccine? Should I not get the vaccine? Is, am, I, am I faithless if I get it? Am I bound down to the government? All this stuff and all these questions come as we're living in the last days that people want to ask. So a lot of times people say, Pastor, we live in the last days. The answer is yes, we are. We're absolutely living in the last days. When you see through the scripture and you see things that are happening with, with the wars and with the, the groaning even of, the Bible talks about earthquakes and pestilence and diseases and stuff. So, man, this thing has been rampant for a very, very long time. But we are one day closer for Jesus from returning than we've ever been. And every day you wake up, you're one day. Now, could it be today? Maybe. Could it be a thousand years from now? Maybe, but the reality is we are living in the last days. And because of that, a lot of times we're seeing, and I've started doing this research, we're seeing this trend in the church that's dropping dramatically. Church membership is dropping dramatically all over the United States. I don't know exactly for all over the world. I don't have all that data, but the ones I've been researching for here in the United States, it's just uh, alarming, super alarming. And in some of that, you know, we, we want to point our fingers like, why is the church not growing? We want to blame politics. You know, we want to, we want to blame, you know, uh, uh, you know, tradition. We want to blame culture, Hollywood. We want to blame everybody else except look at the real core issue. You know, I started researching this and back in 1938, they started asking Americans, how many Americans attend church or actually are church members? And in 1938, 70 percent of Americans, seven out of 10 Americans said they had are a church, they're a member of a church. It spiked up in 1948 to 74%, 7.4%, 70% of that. It spiked up and it stayed there all the way until 1999, about 70 to 2000. It stayed 70%. So seven out of 10 Americans say they are a member of a church. And then something happened dramatically. And since the year 2000 until the year 2019, that's where the data went to, church has dropped 20% in attendance, or sorry, in membership, not just attendance, in membership. People said they're a member of a church. It's dropped dramatically. I mean, when I say dramatic, I'm talking like you could see the scale, and then boom, five out of 10 Americans today will say they are a member of a church. And that was pre-COVID. And the largest group is the college age group. That generation gap, that group has completely fallen off the map when it comes to church membership. So something happened around the year 2000 that began to change in the mindsets of people about members of church or belonging to a church. That was all pre-COVID. And then COVID comes. 
And then we do something dramatic that's never been done before. We shut the, the doors of the church, at least here in the United States. We shut the doors. And just for the record, there's never been, there's never been a time. There's no disease or pandemic or government or any persecution that's ever going to stop God's church from advancing. You know that, right? Nothing can stop God's church from being, being you know, stopped. We've seen people saved all last year, over and over and over and over. We've seen over 60 people saved since January. Right here. Come on, man. That's something to celebrate. That's amazing. Every single week, first-time guests, new people show up right here at one of our locations. But the church is on this dramatic, dramatic dive. And that was pre-COVID. Now COVID hit. And then COVID, man, it pushed people. It pushed society and it pushed people, especially church folks, even further and further and further and further and further away of even the church. Some people now, and I'm not... I understand this. And I'm so glad we have a supplement online and it's not what it is. It is a supplement. Nothing takes the place of a local church. Nothing takes the place of, of coming together with each other. In fact, you know this, right? That's why some of us are cray cray. We had to get out. We had to get around somebody, right? Because you know that you need people in your life. And there's some people, listen, listen, you're still at high risk and all that stuff. And I want to encourage you, you stay there. You stay put until it's safe enough for you to get out. But some people, I'm just going to be honest with you, is lazy, and this has just pushed people and, and the church and pushed people away that people are not coming back and they're not coming back. Pastors are realizing they're not coming back as fast as they thought people were going to come back. And that's okay. They'll come when they at their own pace. But it's pushed people further and further and further and further away. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the next research shows next year. Of how many people who are, are Americans, I only can speak for our country. That's the data I've been researching. How many people, uh, how many Americans would say they actually now belong to a church? But this shouldn't shock us. Like, this should not shock us. Jesus told us that it's going to get worse. We know this. We know that, listen, theologically, God probably is orchestrating. We know that he's in control, sovereignly, all this to get to the point where he ushers in the Messiah. Even the Bible says God's elect, his chosen one, the people who put their faith and trust in Jesus will, will turn their mindset away. So this should not shock us that it's happening. But my question I want to ask is why? Why is this happening? We can't. Point at the government, say it's a divided political country. That's why church membership is going. We can't do that. We can't blame culture where the culture is changing because culture is rapidly changing. Culture is anti-God, anti-against church. We can't blame that. We can't blame Hollywood. We can't, now, we could say the devil. Yes, the devil's behind a lot of things. The devil blinds the minds of those who don't believe. I, I get that. But why is the church dramatically dropping? And I'm not talking, when you say 20%, you think that's no big deal. That's a huge deal. In 20 years, for, from 1938 to the year 2000, seven out of 10 of Americas, and then bam, it drops dramatically. Why? Well, I have a theory. I don't think anybody actually, absolutely, actually can know exactly, but I have this theory. And this is what I believe. I believe the reason why the church is de declining dramatically is because people who claim to be Christians are not acting like Christians. In a world where we're to represent Jesus, we're not representing Jesus. And we're not representing him well. Because today, you can't even tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. I mean, they're the same. They're like, I mean, you can't even tell. You look at the workplace. You, you look at the your social media. You look at what people post. You look how people act. I mean, Christians cuss just as much as non-Christians. They get drunk just as much as non-Christians. They have affairs just as much as non-Christians. We could go on and on and on. You can't tell the difference hardly between the world and Christians anymore. 
And we're sitting here going, well, it's the government's fault. Well, it's the culture's fault. Well, it's because, you know, we have liberal professors at university indoctrinated the young people's mindset about pushing their agenda, which actually happens. And you pay $60,000 for them to push their agenda on you. But that's another whole topic and sermon. And they push all this stuff and we blame the education, the philosophy is changing the minds of their young people. And that is happening, dramatically happening. But I think the big issue is because we who claim to be Christians don't look like Christians. We don't walk like Christians. We don't represent Jesus well. And when we don't represent Jesus well, people are like, why in the world would I even want to go to church? Why would I need to belong? Why do I even need a God when you act the same way as I act, when you do the same things that I do? That's what I love about the King James Version. It says that we're peculiar. Christians are supposed to be different. And you can't tell the difference anymore between a Christian and a non-Christian. And we sit here and wonder, why is the church dropping dramatically? And folks, it's on a very slippery scale. I mean, very, very fast. And we're like, why? Why is this happening? And I just believe that we don't represent Jesus well. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the show. My family and I, were kind of addicted to the show. It's called Designated Survivor. I don't know if you've watched that before or not, but my family, we're kind of addicted to it. And, and it talks about, and I'm like, this is really how the White House operates. Like it has all the things. You're like inside the Oval Office. You're watching how things happen. There's big terrorists, all this stuff happening. It's crazy. It's just a nice plot. We just kind of, it's something to, to kill time. And we watch it together as a family. And we always, you know, I get ahead and the boys get mad. because hey, dad, you, you kind of got ahead of us. You got to slow down. I'm like, okay, I'll slow down. I'll wait. And I'll wait and they'll catch up. And then I'll secretly watch another episode. <laughs> and then we'll catch back up. Right? That's just how you that's our dad's role. And, uh, and so you're trying to get everybody on the same page. But one thing that talks about is these ambassadors. And one thing that came into the Oval Office is that they send ambassadors all over. And I know you've heard of the word ambassadors, but an ambassador is someone who has a message and a mission that's sent to a foreign land to represent our country, to build bridges, to build relationships, to build peace. And I started thinking about that. I'm thinking, are we to do that? The Bible has called us ambassadors for Christ. And as an ambassador for Christ, we're to infiltrate, listen, foreign land. We're to go places to build bridges and relationships to reconcile people back to God. And honestly, we are doing a poor job at that as a church. I'm not talking about just this little church. I'm talking about the big C church. We're doing a poor job of being an ambassador or representing Jesus, who's the greatest King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'm sitting there saying, how are we to be an ambassador? And what is actually an ambassador to the people around us? And are we representing Jesus well? So what I want to do is I'm going to share some things real quick about an ambassador. And then I'm going to talk about some practical steps. What are some things that you can do as we believe to begin to represent Jesus well? And that's, that's really part of the ambassadorship or an ambassador is they represent something. When we send ambassadors of the United States out, they represent our country. They represent the United States in the foreign land that they're living. Well, as Christians, we're to represent Jesus everywhere we go, at home, at Walmart, at Cracker Barrel, in the locker room, in the classroom, in our dorm room. We're to represent Jesus everywhere we go. That's part of being an ambassador. I love what Paul writes. He says, above all in Philippians 1, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. This is not my home. This is not my home. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm living in a foreign land. And while I am here, I am to represent my king, Jesus, everywhere I go. 
And I believe that this is one of the biggest, not the only, but one of the biggest reasons why the church is on decline in America is because we who claim to be Christians don't represent him well. And you can't tell the difference. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, it says, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. He's in jail and he writes this. So I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. See, your career and your calling is different. No matter what your career is, you could be a pipe fitter, you could be a farmer, you could be a teacher, you could be a banker, you could be a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter what your career or who gets your paycheck. But your calling is bigger than your career. See, a lot of times when we introduce ourselves to people, we talk about our titles. Like, I, I, I'm this, I'm a, I'm a president, or I'm a teacher, or, or you give your titles to people. And then you think, as that defines you, well, that's just who pays you. You're basically your ambassador undercover as a teacher. You're an ambassador for king that's undercover that works at a bank. You see what I'm saying? You're an ambassador, not just your title. And listen to me, your calling is bigger than your paycheck. It's calling than your career. It's calling than your education. It's bigger than that. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know why God put you here? Do you know what that purpose is? And until we tap into that, how do we know how to represent or represent him well? Why? Because you've been given a mission. Every ambassador has a mission. And you have been given a mission. God has sent you on a mission. In fact, John 17 talks about that. He says, as God has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you into the world, into this foreign land, into this place. As you continue to build relationships and build a bridge between people so they could come back and be reconciled to God. I love in Acts 20, it says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that assignment? Tell others of the good news. Well, that's what the pastor is for. No, that's your calling. Every one of us has been called to go share the good news. All of us have been called to represent Jesus in this foreign land. Every one of us. You have been sent on a mission to go. But most of us don't go. Why? Well, we look too much like the world. Are we afraid of what maybe the world would say? And we don't want to be peculiar. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be labeled as one of those Christians. So we do. We want to tickle people's ears. We want to ride the fence. We want to play both sides. We want to see how close to the world we can be without not being in the world, but I'm in the world and now I look like the world and now the world can't even tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And this is one of the big reasons I think the church is on a dramatic, dramatic decline. Here's something else about an ambassador. An ambassador has been given authority, which means full power to operate and represent on the behalf of the president or on the behalf of the United States. So as an ambassador, when I go into a land, I've got full authority to build bridges, do whatever it can to, to keep the peace, to bridge the gap so that we can not remain enemies, but we can have a friendship, a partnership together. That's why we send ambassadors all over the world into all the foreign lands. It's to represent where we go, everywhere we go. And you have been given authority by God. See, an ambassador, once they realize something, they have authority. But if it's overstepped them, they got to go back and they got to negotiate. Hey, can we do this? We think we can fix this. You have now the authority to go and build that peace plan for them. We don't have to go back to King Jesus. He's already given us authority. We can actually share his message, deliver his message. Watch this. Lead someone to Christ without going back and going, God, would you forgive them of their sins? I mean, that's what we see in the Great Commission. Look what it says. Jesus says, I've told my disciples, I've, given, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. I have the authority to send you out. Now go. 
You have all the authority to do what? To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Obey my commands. And listen to me, no matter where you go, I always will be with you. I give you all the authority to go make disciples. Now go, be my ambassador in a foreign land. You have the mission, you have the message. Now go, but we don't. And we wonder why the church is on a decline. Most people don't even care. That's even, most people are so oblivious, didn't even see that the church is rapidly. 4,000 churches shut their doors every single year just in the United States. 4,000. And just for the record, every church eventually will shut their doors. Building. There's no church that still exists that's been in existence for 2,000 years. The big C church, the body, it's just a building. But every church has a life expectancy. They live and then that church eventually will die and they close the door or they merge or someone else takes over or they go on. There's not a church still existing, church local body group of believers for the last 2,000 years in one location. There's a, there's a pattern, there's a life expectancy even of churches. And we've been given this mission and we've been commanded to go and we've had the authority to go. And this is something else by the, an ambassador, if you pay attention to it, they always live in a foreign land. They're living in a place that's not their home. In fact, they don't buy houses. They rent places. The ambassadors will rent places because a lot of times they're in enemy territory trying to build relationships from our country to their country. Peter writes this, you must live in reverent fear of Jesus during your time here. Watch this, as temporary residents. This is not our home. You're here temporary. We're only here for a little bit of time. Paul writes in Philippians 3, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eager waiting for his return. This is a temporary place for you to live. This is not your home. And someday Jesus is gonna come back and take you to heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Why did he save me in the first place? Did God save me just to take me to heaven? If that's the reason, then why did he just gonna take me to heaven? Why did he leave me here? Why did he leave me here? See, there's two things you can't do when you get to heaven. I don't know everything about heaven, but I'm gonna tell you two things I know you can't do. Number one, you can't not sin. All sin will be gone. And number two, you can't be an ambassador because there are gonna be no unbelievers. And so you still sin, we still mess up. So why do you think God left us here? To be an ambassador in a foreign land with a message of peace to build relationships with enemies so they can reconcile back to God. And most of us go to our grave never doing that. And that's what God has called us to do. And we wonder why we're losing the entire generation behind us. We wonder why the church is on this steep decline. It's because Christians who's supposed to represent the greatest king, King Jesus, is not doing it. So what do we do? How do we fix this? How do we turn this around? Like, what is, what is my responsibility as an ambassador? How am I supposed to connect the dots? How am I supposed to do this in this foreign land and a culture? Listen, the church right now is like having this full court press all around us. We got government around us. We got education charging at us. We got people who are not believing in, in, in religion around us. Like, every, the church is being pressured all the way around. But it's with this pressure where the church can flourish and grow. We've allowed culture and society and, and government, everything, push, 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 where you to stay silent. And we run and hide. But listen, it's when the persecution comes that God scatters the church and grows the church in great lengths. And we're seeing this all over the world. 
And eventually, eventually, it will happen right here. There'll come a day where we lose the freedom to say what we need to say or teach what the Bible has to say. That is coming. It's already happened. It's already in Canada. Churches are having a hard time having to figure this out now because they can't preach some of the Bible. It's ha- it will come. And this should not shock us. It should not shock us one bit. Jesus says it's going to get worse before it gets better. So how are we to live as ambassadors in this foreign land? Because this is not our home. How are we to live? What are some things we could do? What is my responsibility as an ambassador? Okay, that was all introduction. I've got 13 minutes to do the rest of this. So you got to hang tight. Y'all ready to get started? Say, let's go. I had two cups of coffee. You're going to be here a while. All right, here we go. This one's very profound. This was going to shock you. But as an ambassador, what can I do? Like your center said, Pastor, well, what can I do then? What do I need to do? This was this one, this one's shocking. It's so profound. Watch this. Live wisely among unbelievers. Is that not so shocking? Have you ever thought about how, do you live wisely among unbelievers? Wisdom is taking what you know and thinking about how you respond and how you actually act that out. Are you wise? When it comes to you living among unbelievers. And you may say, where in the world do you get this from? Listen to what Peter writes. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So live properly, live wisely among unbelievers. You know, I was watching this, um, listening to this guy who was interviewing an ambassador. And he says, he's asking the ambassador, he said, what's one of the hardest things as an ambassador to the United States? What's one of the hardest things as an ambassador into the foreign land that you're living into? He said, the hardest thing is, is that I'm always on duty. Everywhere I go, people look at me. People watch me 24-7. If I walk into a restaurant, you can hear the whispers, there's the ambassador of the United States. People watch how I handle my affairs. People watch how I handle, I gotta watch every single word I say because everything I do, everything I say, everything, every way I behave is scrutinized and people know that I am representing the United States of America. And I thought about that. If he can act that way for a country, how can we not think that way for Jesus? I'm gonna scrutinize everything I say, everything I post, how I do it, the manner that I do it. I'm gonna think this thing through. I'm gonna live wisely among unbelievers. I'm not gonna fly off the handle and say what I wanna say, how I wanna say it, because I have the right to say it, because I live in a free world to do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it. This is not your home. We represent a higher kingdom. And if an ambassador of the United States lives that way, how in the world for an ambassador of King Jesus can we not live wisely among unbelievers. Do you ever have a bad day? Raise your hand if you ever have a bad day. You ever have a bad day? Time to time, right? We'll have a bad day. Now, it really takes a lot for me, honestly, to get robbed up or just get angry or just upset at some things. It takes, it takes a while. If you're around me enough, I'm the guy that's always believed the, the glass is half full. I'm very optimistic. If something negative happens, I'm gonna look at the positive of it. If somebody says this and, and they assume the worst, I'm gonna assume the best. I'm just wired that way. I just, I just think that way. And this happened a couple years ago, maybe about no, three or four years ago. 
I was sitting there and I was sitting at home and I was, I was looking out the window and it's like springtime right here and there comes this big old truck. And I don't know what the world the truck was doing in our neighborhood, but the big, this big old truck. And I could tell that the truck was lost. And the truck pulls actually into my driveway, goes off of my driveways and makes these big ruts on the edge of my driveway. Now, when I say big, they're not really big, but big enough that you can see it through the window. And, and he backs the truck around and he wiggles and he backs the truck around and he gets out and, and then... I go out, I just, I don't know what happened. I don't know why, I never do that. I don't know what, and something just clicked at me. I, I got mad. Like, man, what are you doing pulling up my driveway, messing up my yard like this? And I went, I went outside and I grabbed my shovel and he saw me coming to the driveway and he, he was pulling away. I said, hey man, next time you pull someone's driveway and you make ruts in the yard, make sure you fix it before you leave. Now, I wasn't being mean about it, but I was just sharing my opinion. And I'm telling you what, he drove off and my heart just sank. I mean, literally just sank. I said, Daniel, what are you doing? It took me five minutes to fix the rut. And all day long, I am bothered. My conscience is, is just wrecking me. I feel so convicted over ruts in my yard. Because how I handle myself to someone, I would even be in, I didn't yell profanity. I wouldn't even be in mean. I would say, hey man, next time, make sure you fix somebody's yard if you mess up. I wouldn't even say it even in a wrong manner. And I went to my wife and I hugged my head down. I said, I can't believe I acted like that. She goes, well, he shouldn't have pulled in the yard, you know, and stuff. You got to understand, I'm married to a principal. She has no grace, no mercy. <laughs> she has no grace, no mercy. She goes, they deserved it. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. You know, and I'm like, I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe, and all night long, I couldn't even sleep. I didn't even know who they were. I couldn't even find them to apologize. And some of like, what do you mean? What's the big deal? It's a big deal. The very next day, I, the doorbell rang. And it's the owner of the trucking company who lives in Winchester, drove all the way down to my house, knocked on my door to apologize for their truck driver pulling in my yard. I was floored that they showed up at my house. I can't believe that you're the owner of this company. Come and knock on my door just to say you're sorry for a truck making some ruts that took me five minutes to fix. And I looked at him, I said, I can't believe you're here. I didn't sleep no last night. Will you go back and tell the truck driver, I'm sorry. I should not have acted that way. I shouldn't have got upset about it just because he drops off my driveway, puts ruts in my yard. What's, it's, it's ruts. It's not a big deal. Please tell them I'm sorry. And somebody's saying, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. We're to represent Jesus in our tone and how we speak and the words we say in our actions and our behavior everywhere we go. Whether we're at Cracker Barrel and the waitress having a bad day because she has three kids at home. She's a stay, her husband left her. She's trying to make minimum ways to put food on the table, but she couldn't leave her kid home. And she's there at work. And you're mad at her. She's I'm going to show her. I ain't going to tip her. And you have words with her. You have no idea what's in her backpack. You represent Jesus everywhere you go. And if something has ruts bothered my conscience, What about the people who hurt you and they wronged you and they say bad things about you and they lie about you and they walked out on you and they cheated on you and they hurt you? How are we to respond? And we wonder why the church is on a steep decline when you can't even tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And every single person I come in contact with, I see them as someone that Jesus died for. And how do you bridge that gap for them to be reconciled back to God? 
You know, a lot of times people ask me, sometimes I'll, I'll get people say, man, what do you do for a living? And I never tell them I'm a pastor. I never tell them I'm a pastor. Because the moment I tell them I'm a pastor, there's like big red flag goes up and all of a sudden there's this wall and then you know, yada, 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 yada. I'm always, I've learned that enough over the years that I, I don't do that. So, so it's, it's hilarious because I'll have a conversation and then I'll invite people to church and then they'll come and they're like, and they're like, you shock them. Like, you, I, I didn't know you was a pastor. Why are you telling us a pastor? Because if I told you a pastor, you wouldn't come to church. <laughs> right? I mean, it's all this stuff. And so the other day I was sitting and this guy said, he goes, man, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm gonna try something different. I said, I leaned in, I, I squatted like this. I said, come here. I said, you know how everyone's looking for a better life? He goes, oh yeah, man, everybody's looking for a better life. Everybody's looking for a better life. I said, I help people discover that. He goes, dude, I gotta get on this. What's the secret? Well, what is, I mean, he was intrigued to listen to the message that I had now. I already had him hooked. Could you imagine if you did the same thing? See, when people ask you what you do for a living, you give them a title. I'm a teacher, coach, banker, stay-at-home mom, Harold Tresser. You go on and on, right? You give them the title. But actually, you do the same thing. Imagine next time somebody says, what do you do for a living? You said, hey, you know what? You know how everybody's looking for a better life, like a better marriage, better finance, better, better relationship? Yeah, 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 yeah. I help people discover that. I help people take next steps to do that because that's what you do. You're trying to bridge the gap to help people reconcile back to God. Yeah, they may pay your paycheck. You may have a title, whatever, but that is not your calling. Your calling is to connect people to Jesus. And here's how we can begin to do this. Live wisely among unbelievers. Therefore, I'm going to think before I speak. I'm going to think before I tweet. <laughs> I'm going to think before I post on this rampage that you would never say to someone's face, but you sit at home in your pajamas, you don't care to tell somebody. We are to represent Jesus everywhere we go. And let me tell you, one of the biggest places we drop the ball at is at home. And I've made a commitment to my wife and to my kids. I'm gonna be the same on stage as I'm off stage if I'm sitting in the living room watching Designated Survivor with my boys. They're never gonna look at it and say, dad was one person on stage and not the same person at home. Uh-uh. Because I'm gonna choose to live wisely among my children to set that generation for success so they can continue to carry the baton on to the next generation to live wisely among people. And I tell my boys this, they're old enough that I said, listen, now when you go somewhere, make sure you behave. Yeah, 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 I know. And it's not because you're the pastor's son. Because when you go out, son, you do represent me. And when you do go out, you do represent our church. But that's not the reason. It's because you represent Jesus everywhere you go. And I instill that, I tell them that. So make sure you are on your best behavior because you represent Jesus everywhere you go. Imagine if several hundred of us did that. We can change an entire city but now we're seeing churches on a massive, massive scale declines because I believe people don't live wisely among unbelievers. A couple more things and we're done. As an ambassador, I'm to live wisely, but as an ambassador, I'm to share the message that he's given me. I'm share the message of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message. What's the message? The message of reconciliation, that God can forgive you of your sins and be reconciled back to King Jesus. You know that can happen. You can have that. We have the message. We've already been given all the authority by heaven, by God, to preach that message and to extend that message and to help people connect to it. You have the authority to do that. Well, I'm not a pastor. You're all ministers of the gospel. 
Yes, some of you may not be in full-time ministry, but you're in full-time Christian living. And you've been called to connect people and reconcile people back to God. You're to share the message that Jesus offers a new life for everyone. That you can have a new life. Jesus ends the war with God. You're no longer an enemy with God. You no longer have to be living on foreign land anymore. You can be connected and reconciled. All your sin, all the war crimes, everything you've done can be forgiven if you just bring your life and give your life to Jesus. We have this message of reconciliation, but we never share it. One, maybe we're oblivious. Maybe two, we just think, hey, that's what you do. We bring them to church, you share it. No, we're all ambassadors. We're all called to take the message, to say your sins are forgiven, you can have a home in heaven, and now you can have a purpose for living. Are you kidding me? Who doesn't want that? We have the message, but are we sharing it? And then the last thing, not only to share the message, live wisely, but we're to show the love of Jesus to the people around us. And we're coming through this very bitter political divide and the the world has been changed in the last 12 months. Christians, have we represented well? Because the world's looking at us. They're watching to see how we respond. They're looking to see, do we really practice what we preach? And do we love people well? Are we loving people like Jesus? Are we showing the love of Jesus? That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. It's truth and love. You, you gotta have both. Jesus was full of truth, the Bible says, but he's full of love. He spoke the truth. He didn't back down, but he did it in love. You see, if you only preach truth with no love, that's called brutality. You just beat people up. But if all you do is preach love and you never speak the truth, that's called hypocrisy. You have to have both. I'm gonna tell you the truth, but I'm gonna do it in love. So I'm gonna live wisely. I'm gonna be careful how I say it, the tone and the manner that I say it. Why? Because I'm trying to reconcile you back to God. That's why he left me here. That's why you're still breathing. Someone may pay you or give you a paycheck, but the mission is to be an ambassador for King Jesus. So how can I show the love of Jesus to people? One, I can use my life to meet other people's needs. It's one of the greatest ways. Paul writes to 1 Thessalonians, he says this, we love you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna share my life with you. See, some of you need to get out of the embassy. You just think, this is the church. This is the building. You don't come to church. You bring the church to a building. Y'all know that, right? We're the church. We're the people. We gotta get outside the embassy here and be an ambassador out there in a the foreign land. And we can share our lives with the people around and show them Jesus. Here's another one. We could be gentle and respectful in how the things we say and what we do. Peter writes this, instead of you, he said, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I'm gonna be honest with you. Most Christians can't explain the hope they have in Jesus. But when you do this, do this with gentleness. Watch this, be gentle, be respectful. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see that what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. What are you saying? Treat everyone with dignity and respect. I don't care, even if they disagree with you politically, philosophically, religiously, whatever they do disagree with you, show dignity and respect. Why? Because I'm an ambassador to represent Jesus. So we can disagree, but I'm gonna do it with dignity and respect. 
We may not be on the same page, but that's okay. I'm still gonna do it with dignity and respect. So many people, they wanna be so dogmatic, not diplomatic. And we're gonna be diplomatic. I know what I believe, I'm convicted by that, but I'm gonna do it with dignity and respect, with love and gentleness and respect. And it's the kindness and it's the love that you have with people that eventually you can build a bridge and reconcile them back to God. That's what God has called us to do. We also can do this by meeting people where they are. And this is honestly one of my biggest strategies when ministering or witnessing or trying to connect with people, especially strangers or people I don't know. It's to find common ground. Listen to what Paul says. I find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. That's, that's exactly what I, I take that to heart. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. The first thing I'm gonna do when I'm trying to meet people is I'm trying to find a common ground with them. I'm trying to see what, what one place in their life I can connect with them. They like to talk about sports, let's talk about sports. They like to talk about business, let's talk about business. They like to talk about investing, let's talk about investing. They like talking about, I don't know what it is, something. I'm gonna try my best to find a place to connect that I can connect with them. Why? I'm trying to build a bridge. I'm in a foreign land with someone who needs to be reconciled back to God. And the greatest way to do it is find a connection to build something, a relationship with them, so that I can help them see the person that I represent, who is Jesus. Now imagine, imagine every one of us doing that. I'm gonna think wisely and live wisely among unbelievers. I'm gonna share the message of hope and I'm gonna share the love of Jesus. How do you think our city would look? How do you think your workplace would look? How do you think your school would look? Let's get personal. How do you think your family would look? When your kids see you, Dad, that you're an ambassador for Jesus. Not someone who's always angry on a tyrant that comes home and slams everything and mad at the world and hate your job. And I don't see mom and dad always fighting back and forth with each other and screaming back and forth. Are we representing Jesus at home? I decided to do this with my children a long time ago that when my kids mess up, I'm not gonna go off. I'm not gonna go in there and scream and yell and be disappointed. I'm gonna walk in and I'm gonna treat them just as Jesus treated me. And I've made that conscious decision. And if God can forgive me of all of my sin, how do I do that with my children? And how do I do it in a manner? The Bible says it's his kindness, not him beating me up. It's God's kindness that leads me to repentance. So I always go in and check with my tone. I always go in and check what we're gonna talk about. But I'm always gonna be clear with the consequences because there's consequences to sin. Why? Because I wanna live wisely. Do I mess up? Absolutely. Are you gonna be perfect? No, you're not. Are you gonna have bad days? Yes. Are you gonna get mad because someone got ruts in your yard? Yes. But I'm gonna repent. And I'm gonna do better next time. Not for my salvation. I'm not doing it to go to heaven. I'm doing it because I already belong to heaven. And I'm to represent Jesus. I'm gonna close with this passage because this summarizes everything. This, in fact, this is where I've got today's message from, right in this text. It's in 2 Corinthians 
chapter five. It's a few verses here, but I want you to hear the passion that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And this is what I would want to say to you today. And I believe this is what God is saying to us today. Do I know why the church is dropping very fast in decline? I have no idea. But one observation that I've seen, especially over the last 12 months, is that Christians don't represent well. And this could be triggering a massive exodus and church membership. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, verse 14, chapter five. Christ's love controls us. I love that. Your translation may say compels. Because Christ's love in me, it can Tells me, it controls me to live this way. What way? Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life are no longer living for themselves. Instead, they live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And that's one of our biggest problems. We see people from a human point of view, not from eternity point of view. That's why we treat them that way because they're human instead of seeing from a God point of view. At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view. But oh, how differently do we know him now? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old Daniel is gone, but the new life, the new Daniel has begun. The old you is gone, but the new has become. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the same task the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling us, building a bridge, relational, bringing peace to the world, to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Praise God for that. So here's what we're doing. So he gave us this message of reconciliation. Why? Because we have a mission. We have a message. So here it is, verse 20. Here it is. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making an appeal through you at the workplace, in the classroom, in the ball court, in the locker room, at home with your family. He's making an appeal to you. So we plead, here's our message, come back to God. You see, I think God sent me today for some of you to say, come back, what are you doing? Quit looking like the world, quit acting like the world. Come back to him. For God made Christ to never sin, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. How? Through Jesus. Chapter six. So as God's partners, how do we partner with him? We're his ambassadors. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of kindness and then just throw it away and just ignore it. Go live like the world. No, 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 no. You're an ambassador for God says, at the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, this is the right time. And here it is. Because today is the day of salvation. Why should you go out and live like an ambassador for Jesus? One, his love compels you. And if he has no love to compel you, you need to ask, do you know him? It's his love for you that he forgave you of all your sins. How can you not go now live for him? His love controls us. It compels us to go be an ambassador. Why? Because today is today of salvation. You are not promised tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. That's why you've got to live today as it's your last day. Because it very well could be. And at the end of your life, could you look back and said, I lived well. 
I was an ambassador for Jesus to my family, to my coworkers, to my business partners, to my friends, to my teachers, to my roommates, to my classmates. I was an ambassador and I lived well. Let me tell you, I didn't say this in the first service, but let me tell you, it's, it's kind of morbid, but <laughs> try this. Go home and go ahead and write out your eulogy. Write out what you want someone to stand up someday at your funeral. And for three minutes, sound the last trumpet about your life. Because the next generation will completely forget about you. You know that, right? So if you got everybody's attention for three minutes, for your 60, 70, 80 years, and that's generous, life on this playground we call planet Earth. Go home and write out your eulogy. Write out what you want someone to hold and say, let me tell you about you. Let me tell you about this person. What would you want them to say about you? What do you want them to say? Because for three minutes, they've got everyone's attention to give one more shout of what you did with your life. And what would you want someone to say about you? You want someone to say that person was generous, that person was loving, that person loved their family, they were faithful in following Jesus, they were faithful in their, what do you want someone to say about you? And if that's what you want someone to say about you, then start living that way now. Because someday, someone's gonna stand up and take three to four minutes and give a whole glimpse of your life. And then they're gonna go right out the door and the next generation behind it is gonna forget all about who you were. It's about two generations, but say about a generation and a half. Life is short. Hell is hot. We're called to be an ambassador. Today is the day of salvation. Live today like it's your last. Go represent Jesus well. And I'm telling you, we can change the world. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. One question. How are you representing? Do you know who you represent? Then how are you representing him? I can feel the weight and the tension Right now, some of you are like, Pastor, I've blown it. I just, ugh, like I've got to, uh, just. And you go on and you list all these reasons. What do I do? Here's what you do. Watch this. Just repent. Say, God, forgive me for not representing you well. I've let my guard down and I've not been the ambassador that you've called me to be. So I'm gonna repent. You know what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9? If you confess your sins, he's faithful just to forgive you of your sins. And guess what? God will restore you. And then say, day, from today on though, I'm gonna do everything in my power to live wisely among unbelievers, to live wisely in my workplace, to live wisely among my family, to live wisely in my locker room or classroom or whatever it may be for you. And then go do it. 
Are you going to blow it? Yeah. You're going to have bad days? Yeah. Why aren't you so thankful that God's grace and his mercy is new every single morning? Maybe for you, you don't even know Jesus. Man, what a great day to give your life to him. Right where you sit, you can do that. Whether you're watching online, at one of our locations. You just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And as best as I know how, I repent of my sins and I give my life to you. Now help me represent you and help me live for you all the days of my life. And if that's you, we wanna know, we wanna celebrate. In fact, your next step as an ambassador of Jesus is to follow Jesus and to be baptized. That you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, that you show the world that you are an ambassador, that you are a follower of Jesus. We're gonna do that next Sunday. Come on. Let's make it happen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, we repent as the Big C Church for not representing you well. I pray today, at least at this local body of believers in these locations, we change that. That God, we can look back and say it was today that we consciously made a decision that we are going to live wisely among the people around us because this is not our home. And we're gonna do everything we can to represent you well. So God, I pray that you would empower us, you grant us favor, you open doors that we never thought was even possible to build relationships with people in this foreign land, to share this wonderful message to reconcile back to you. And God, we can't wait to see what you're gonna do through your people being obedient and following you. For your name we ask and we pray.